Well, it's a glorious day, and it's traditional for us when we ordain people at Presbytery, uh, we ordain our pastors, uh, our teaching elders. At the church, we ordain our ruling elders, deacons, and we commission our women to serve on the Women's Council. So it's, it's uh, usual for the men and women who are taking on these offices to receive a charge uh, from uh, the, uh, the men who are doing the ordaining. Um, in this case, I'm going to do a charge. I'm going to be brief this morning uh, because of the time we've taken already. But um, the charge will be to both the officers that have been ordained and to you, the congregation. So you have in your bulletin uh, this uh, text from John, and uh, it's chapter 13. I'd like you just to listen as I go along. It's a very familiar text. And we'll take a few minutes to talk about this. But this is the charge to both the officers of this church and to the congregation. As soon as Judas left the room, Jesus said, The time has come for the Son of Man to enter into his glory. And God will be glorified because of him. And since God receives glory because of the Son, he will give his own glory to the Son. And he will do so at once. Dear children, I will be with you only a little longer. And as I told the Jewish leaders, you will search for me, but you can't come where I am. So now I am giving you a new commandment. Love one another. Just as I have loved you, you should love each other. Your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. This is the word of the Lord. Well, anytime you read this passage, and especially some of the other passages in John, including the three little books of John, um, This particular apostle, they call him John the Beloved, that he was uh, the one that was closest in heart and mind to Jesus, Um, a brotherly love that uh, we all long for, especially men. We long to have a relationship with other men, a healthy relationship where there's somebody we can tell our deepest heartfelt things to, someone who is a kindred spirit, and I don't know Uh, Where that's found, we try to do it here at Christ the King with our relationships with uh, uh, people that we shepherd, and it's not easy to do. But when you read these verses, love one another, just as I have loved you, love one another. I don't know what you feel, but for me, it's a lot of guilt, a lot of shame, a lot of cynicism. Oh yeah, right, sure, I'm supposed to love like you, Jesus. I mean, what's, what, what are you putting on our shoulders? What are you doing with this? Commanding us to love you or to love others the way you love us? That's impossible. There's no way to do it. So I want to encourage you this morning. I think there is a way to do it. I think we can love each other exactly like Jesus and the Father loved us. I think the problem is we misunderstand what he's saying. We pour into it all of our ideas 
especially in our modern society, we pour into it all these ideas about what love truly is. That it's simply an emotion, a feeling. And I want to tell you, love is 100% emotion and feeling and whatever that is that goes on. We know it when we have it. We know it when we don't. We recognize that emotion and that feeling. But that's not all it is. It's 100% that. But in addition to that, it's 100% of something else. It's 100% of our actions, our dispositions, our mental, rational self deciding, choosing, committing to someone or something in a way that it may cost us to do that. And so today I'm going to talk about it a little bit. Next week we'll do a little bit more. But I think the problem is we have separated, we have bifurcated, taken these things apart like we do heart and mind and soul. We, it, it's okay to do that. It's okay to separate our feelings from our rational mind, our rational self, to talk about it, to understand maybe. But let me tell you something. Down at the atomic level, the molecular level, the cellular level, you didn't know that I was a scientist. Down at the very core of who you are, you cannot separate these things. God made you whole. Like He is whole. Thank God, Jesus, our Savior, said to us and to these men, love each other as I've loved you. Love each other. Thank God He said that. Because if He hadn't said that, we would go off into all different kinds of directions trying to find out how to love each other. And it doesn't work. It frustrates us. We feel guilty. We give up. We become cynical. Or we try really, really hard and we just live with a sense of constant, I'm not loving because I don't feel it. I can't commit to it. I've got all these things mixed up. And part of my job and part of Dawson's job and the elders and deacons and women's counselors' churches to help you reintegrate those parts that fly apart because of sin in our lives and and, and if you haven't become a Christian yet, you know what I'm talking about. If you are a Christian, you know, this is not for just Christians. This is for humanity. How in the world do we get along? And so I want to encourage you, first of all, that maybe we're using a wrong definition. I want to go and how did John define love? What was he talking about? What does he mean by love one another as I've loved you? What, what in the world did they hear the commandment to love my friends is stunning it's beautiful it's impossible unless you love the same way Jesus loved okay you ready say yes ready okay Look at the first few verses, 31 and 32. There's a context to the whole Gospel of John, but there's a context to these verses in this last portion. This is 
right after Jesus has washed their feet. They're all confused. They don't know what he's doing. He's become uh, weak and lowly in front of them and done something that you just don't do. In the Middle East, particularly, the feet were the lowest part. You don't, you don't cross your legs in front of people. You don't lift your feet up so they can see the soles of your feet. That is no, no, no. And so he was doing something that was only reserved, as many of you know, for the lowest class of people. And then he gets up, and by the way, Judas was present in that foot washing. That is remarkable in itself. And then Jesus commands him or gives him the, re, the release. We think that Judas betrayed Jesus all on his own. Nobody could have touched Jesus. No one could have lifted a finger against him. Nobody could have done a thing to him or said a word to him except praise and glory if he had not allowed it to happen, if he had not wanted it to happen. So he tells Judas, go, do what? Do what you must. And then Jesus said this, the time has come, 31 and 32, the time has come for John, for Jesus, to enter the Son of Man, to enter his glory. God will be glorified because of him. And since God, he's talking in the third person, it's kind of weird, I know, but that's, this is for effect. And since God receives glory because of the Son, He, God, will give His glory to the Son and He will do it at once. In the Gospel of John, you hear this refrain over and over. He even tells his mother at the, uh, the wedding in Cana in chapter 2, the time has not yet come. The time has not yet come. But in chapter 12, a group of Gentiles come and ask to see him and the disciples don't know what to do because you should never let your master mix with the infidels, with the unclean. And they don't know what to do. What do we do? We can't let these unclean Gentiles come and talk to him. So they come and they tell him. And he doesn't answer them. He said, now the time has come. Now the time has come. And from then on, now the time has come. There is a context, folks, for everything that Jesus said about love. And that context, this new commandment, the context is nothing less, listen, nothing less than his betrayal, his kangaroo court trials, his beatings, his crown of thorns, his cross, the spear in his side, his death alone, the grave. The resurrection, yes, but this is the context of what he's saying. If you're going to understand love the way that God defines love, you must understand it's not merely feelings and it's not merely commitment. It's everything. Sometimes you're not going to feel like you want to love somebody. And then you've got to commit because it's a commandment. Other times, your, your commitments are just absent of feelings. You don't feel anything. You're, you're drifting apart. Like sometimes marriages, we drift apart. Or friends, we drift apart. Or we have an, a disagreement. Or, or even worse, we hurt each other. There's a context for His commandment. Do it as I've loved you. Where are you going to get the will, the power, the strength 
Where are you going to be able to go? And, and where's the well deep enough for you to go and drink of that kind of water? It's not in yourself. This is why we become so deadly frustrated and angry with ourselves. We just can't see. It's because we're not loving each other the way Jesus loved. And it has very little to do with what you are able to conjure up in yourself for that other person or that other thing or whatever it is. It has very little to do with that. It has everything to do with how He loves us. Do you hear the difference? There is a profound difference in what I'm telling you today and how we think about love just in general. We must expect God's love to be understood in the context of this sinful world, a world that has fallen, where betrayal, abandonment, sin, sorrow, grief, cowardice, are all part of the norm. We think it's supposed to be jolly like Disneyland. You know, I lived in Florida for six years. I went to seminary at RTS, and we actually didn't go to Disney very often because it was very expensive. Now it's like triple. My boys, my two sons, when they got there, and they they were teenagers, they started working, they gathered a little money. Well, for $180, you could get a full year pass to Disney and Universal Studio, everything. And so my boys scraped together their money, and they bought annual tickets, and they were down. As soon as they got a car, they were down there constantly. And uh, fun for them, not so much fun for us uh, as her parents. But we would go sometimes, and I always, I would tell Marty V, we'd, we'd be there in the happiest place on earth, right? The big sign. People are going in and people are coming out. And people that are going in, even adults, they lose their ever-loving minds. Oh, it's the happiest place on earth. They start acting like children. The children are going crazy. They go into the park and for three days they eat sugar. But people are coming in and people are going out. And it's the going out that's funny. We would even stay there and watch because parents were mad. They had just spent all their savings and their credit card was loaded. The kids were out of their minds, but not in a good way. Everybody's tired. They hate Disneyland. Parents are saying, I'm never going back to Disneyland. This is my last Disneyland. And the kids are saying, ah, it's not the happiest, but I hate it, and I hate you, Mom and Dad, and I hate Florida, and I hate you, and I'm not going back soon. They're crazy. That's how we are with things. But if you focus on Christ, you're not in Disneyland anymore. You're somewhere else. You're in a whole transcendent. Listen, officers. You're asked, you're called, and so are you members. This is not just for the high and mighty like us professional holy people. This is for everybody. And if Jesus had, had not said, love as I love you, we wouldn't have a chance. But we do have a chance because He is at the center. Whatever love means, and, and what I'm telling you is it means all of these things, and 100% of all of them, they're knit together. That is your constitution down at your DNA level. It's how God created you in His image. And when He redeemed you, He redeemed you body, soul, and feelings. Even your feelings have been redeemed. And when they go off, the same way your body or your mind will go off sometimes, you bring it back. How? 
by willpower? Well, good luck with that. No, you come back by thinking and, and worshiping and taking the Holy Sacrament and being around the people of God and having a brother or sister that you can go to and, and get in your life. You, by the means of grace, what we call the means of grace in our church, prayer, scripture, the sacraments, the preaching of the word, the worship of God in music and song and the confessions of faith and the prayers of the people. That's how you're going to get back. Not by doing them but by coming to the person who's at the center of those. Do you see the difference? You're coming back to the person uh, who is the central hub of all that stuff we do. Church, sacrament, preach, all of it. There you will find Him. And you'll be able to reorient yourself and the pain may be absolutely crushing. But if you go to Him and you put Him central in all that, you start thinking about what He did, how He loves, why He loves, who He loves. I was reading an article yesterday about all the transgender stuff that's going on right now. And, and um, um, anyway, I thought to myself, here we are, we are so, we, Christians are losing their minds. Oh my God, there's transgender people out there. We should be saying, oh my God, why aren't the transgender people in our church? See how quiet it gets? What is wrong with us? Do you for one moment think that you're any better in any microscopic way than a transgender, or a gay, or a butcher, or a murderer, or a rapist? Do you think that you're one little tiny bit better than any of them? Are you crazy? Are we crazy? Have we lost our mind? Do we not know who we are in the, in the, in the context of God loving us, do we not understand that we are all unworthy? Completely. Utterly. And I'm asking you as a congregation, and I'm telling you elders, and you deacons, and the women's council to come next week, we've got to love people the way Jesus loves us. And that's with no blinking. You know what? You go in all the way and you stay and you befriend and you try to to understand what somebody's life. Don't you want somebody to come next to you and say, tell me your story. Help me understand. And then offer them Jesus Christ and not a bunch of rules and regulations. Let God take care of that. But are we going to ascend to that transcendent kind of love, to love as He loves, Or are we going to stay down here and just hate everybody we don't like? And be nice. C.S. Lewis said a world of nice people is worthless. He is not calling us to be nice. He's calling us to love and love in a redemptive, holy, passionate way. Never excusing sin. I'm not saying we excuse sin. Listen, I have never, in all these years I've been with you, have I ever excused a sin? No. I can't. I got too many myself. 
But every day of our life, we should be thinking about the context of Jesus' love. Dr. Don Guthrie, in a commentary that I was reading this week, said glorification, Jesus, you know, looking towards glorification, which includes all of what he's saying. It's, you don't take all these things out in pieces. Glorification would involve separation. See, for Jesus to get from where he was in that dinner, washing their feet and cleaning their filth off them, and answering their dumb questions like uh, Peter saying, I'm going to go with you to the cross, and you're not going to wash my feet. I'm too, I, I, you're too good. What he's really saying is I'm too bad. <laughs> get it? I'm not telling Jesus, don't wash my te- feet because I'm too holy. He says, don't do it because you're so good. No, Peter didn't understand. He didn't understand his badness. He thought he was bad, but not bad enough. Not bad enough to have the Savior wash his feet. This is what I'm getting at, folks. To get from here to that dinner, to that cross, and all the way to the resurrection, Jesus had to love. He had to love you and me at his own expense. All the way. As one pastor said, Jesus didn't tithe his blood. He didn't give 10% of his blood. He gave it all. Everything. And I'm telling you, if we don't step into that, if we don't just start embracing that, even with all our hurts, I know, when you do, when you embrace that, I would say you're going to experience a freedom that you can't have otherwise. The guilt and shame of not loving should fall away because you're stepping into the way He loves us, making Him central to all of that. Verse 33, look at it. Dear children, I will be with you only a little longer. You can't go where I'm going. There's going to be separation. You know, he could keep them bodily when he was there. He could keep them kind of like, what do we say, herding cats? Is that what it is, Dave? Yeah, herding cats. He's herding the 12 cats. And he's trying to get them all going in the right direction. No way. He couldn't even do it on earth. But he promises them in this context, I'm going to send the Holy Spirit. And Holy Spirit will accomplish what I was unable to do here on the earth. Oh, wow. It's better for you that I go away, he said. So men that we ordain today, you were filled with Christ's Holy Spirit today on your knees in a special and glorious way. And you, the congregation, witnessed that. Them bowing their knee to this table, to their Savior. And you received them there. There it is. It's momentary, I know. We just barely can hold us like smoke, trying to get smoke. But there it is. And we don't want to ever give up on that. It's not just feelings. It's commitment. It's desire. It's humility. It's purity. It's made up of so many things, but it's God, not us. Under, you get it. Okay. The context, dear children, I'm going away. 
like a vacuum. It feels like a vacuum. Where are you, God? I want to feel you. Well, let me tell you, when you don't feel him, or I'll, I'll even go so far as to say this, on your worst day, Jesus came and died for you. Yes? Yes? On your worst day, the worst day of your sin, while you were yet in your sins, he died for you. Every day after that's a better day. Well, I sinned really bad this weekend. I did some things I know I should. I really went off the rails this weekend. And I want to come back. I messed up. I want to come back. Tell me why you want to come back. Answer that question. Why do I want to come back? Because I'm a good person? Because I, I have some sort of enlightenment? Or I feel shame? I don't, you know, Chuck told me to come. I don't know. What, whatever. Why? What's moving you? I would say the only thing that's moving you <laughs> from that to this is His love for you. Can somebody say amen to that? This is good preaching, folks, whether you like it or not. I know we're Presbyterians. We can't. No, it's because His love for you is moving you back. You messed up. He comes in close. You deny Him. You shook your fist. I shook my fist at Him for ten years. And He was closer then than He is this morning. You understand? He comes in close. That's how he loves. So when you have friends that are messed up and they just go off the rails and you know they're just like out of their minds, we go close. Officers, we go close. We don't blink. We don't tell them to remove the makeup. I don't care about their makeup or their weird hair or whatever they're trying to accomplish, their political you know, outrage. We're going to make you like us. We demand that you pass laws. Pass all the laws you want. We are going to love you into the kingdom of God because there's no other way. We're not going to get anybody in by shaking our finger at them and dancing like a Presbyterian. Did any of you get here that way? I don't think so. If you did, you need to leave and come back in a different way. And look at 35 and 34. A new commandment I give you, love one another. Just as I have loved you, love one another. This is a chiasm. This is something John liked to do a lot. And look what he does. Literarily, the way you read it. Love one another. Just as I have loved you, love one another. He puts his love, how he loves you, at the center. Not you loving each other. Not you loving Him, not nothing. He puts Himself at the center. Love as I've loved. Love one another, love one another, love like I've loved. This will break every hurt, every disappointment, every false expectation, everything. Going to Him on your knees, men. Going to Him on your knees, congregation. When you're at your worst day, Looking to Christ. It's your only hope. Not how well you love me or him or her or do or that or whatever. You go to him. Take him by the hand. By faith we do it every Sunday when we take the Holy Sacrament. Take him in. And then sometimes it costs us to go out and I'm sorry or I offended you or 
whatever. My goodness, how hard is that? There are circumstances where you should, you know, if you were abused, sexually abused as a child or maybe as an adult, you are a victim of something. No, no, no. You don't have to go to that person. But you can sit with Jesus. Yes, you can sit with Him with that pain, with that hurt, no matter what it is. The loss of a child, the loss of a marriage, a career, money, whatever it is, you can sit with Him. He'll know. He'll understand. He's the only one that will. And He has commissioned officers and women and men in the church to feel like that, to think like that, to come alongside people that are broken like that. Don Guthrie said this, the commands to love were already known in the sense of being the highest devotion to God. See, this is not unusual. This, these men understood this. But Jesus' command that the disciples should love one another was new in its scope, how, how far it's to go, and its motivation. Out there, the scope. In here, the motivation. Why would you love somebody that has just got... Marty V locked her keys in her car the other day. And I called USAA to come and unlock the car. She left with my car. She, you know, she doesn't love me. She left with my car. She's listening on the TV. Sorry. I, I know you love me. She left with my car. I waited for her. The car, the car drove up that was going to unlock the car, who USAA contracts with, who knows. Guy stepped out of the car. He was head to toe, tattoos ears, every, every part of his visible body was pierced. And uh, he was one of the nicest people I've ever met. Nicer than most of you. <laughs> and we talked and we chatted and I, he, he got the door, he had me help him. We got the door open and we talked. And I thought, my God, when Jesus looks down, when he, Jesus looks at us, what does he see? What do you think he sees? He sees tattoos and pierced noses and filth. and I mean, really, come on, folks. That's what Christianity is all about. That's what he sees. That's what he embraces. That's what he loves. And all he's asking us to do is just love each other like he did. And quit looking down our long noses. But reach out into people's lives and just... And, and in your own life, go to him and sit with him. Who's going to love you like that? Nobody. Not even your mama. Remember the saying, nobody's going to love you like your mama? Well, my mama's here, and I know she loves me. But mom, nobody's going to love you like that, right? See, she even agrees with me because you're all here. Okay. <laughs> so the commands, the scope and the motivation is what is different. Now, the Old Testament said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. Leviticus, I think, is Leviticus 19. All that stuff is in the Old Testament. They knew what he was talking about. But when he said, like, I love you, love one another, the scope changed. The motivation changed. We don't love people because they earn it. If you're married, you know you can't live like that for maybe six months, maybe, if you're really good. But after that, 
You've got to love like Jesus loves. Right? You've got to do it. So I want to encourage you officers with these words. Jesus said, or Jesus did this. I think it's St. Augustine, but I can't verify it. But it sounds like him. By loving the unlovable. This was, if it was Augustine, his prayer. By loving the unlovable, the unlovely, the ugly, by loving them, you have made the unlovable, the unlovely, lovely. We cannot stand back and say there's anybody. Well, I can't love them. I can't go that far. I can't. It's too much. Forget about it. Officers, forget about it. You've been called to die totally and to love. Yes? And congregation, we're not up here and you're down here and you can get away with murder while we have to be really holy. You affirmed us today. You took a vow. We're all together in this. Dave, Dave, our beloved elder, has told us since I've been here and we've gone through some hard times, a lot of them because of me. And Dave has always come and said to me, we're in this together. God bless you. There it is. There it is. We will fail, no doubt. But you've got to look to the one who didn't fail, who went all the way for all us, our junk. Will you trust him? I pray that you will. Father, we love you and thank you for your kindness and your mercy. It is never ending. There's just no bottom to how you've loved us and it moves us in a way that we don't even understand sometimes. But I ask, please, that you would work on the heart of every person here, especially those men that took holy vows to serve you, but also in all of us who were witnesses and who raised our right hand to affirm them. Please, O oh Lord, our God, give us your Holy Spirit, and in him we can love one another as you loved us. Love one another. Amen.